This is the Following the Joy podcast, a place to talk about being the best version of yourself, following your heart, making the changes needed and having fun on this adventure we call life. So if that sounds like your sort of thing, then I invite you to stick around. I'm your host, Debbie Westwell, and this is Following the Joy. So today's interview is with Suzanne Andorra Barron. She's a yoga instructor, a Jin Shin Jitsu practitioner, um, and she runs a foundation in honor of her oldest son, Christopher, who sadly passed away from leukemia at the age of nine. Now, this episode sees us speaking about his diagnosis, about Suzanne's anxiety, how she coped with the death of a child, and how she managed to do one fun thing a day to keep that joy in her life. We talk about the guilt that comes along with death. Um, we briefly mention like the symbolism of the signs from those that we've loved and lost, how embracing the ordinary is good, and how she got into medita- meditation and chanting and jinshin jitsu. It's really difficult to say that um, to help with that can help with like presentation, self-confidence, worry, headaches, and how she teaches that to others now. Um, and most importantly, I think is we talk about how to help a friend who is dealing with grief and loss. Now, we recorded this episode before December the 4th, which is when Suzanne's podcast comes out. But whilst we're talking about it, we get a bit confused because obviously her podcast is now out. And yeah, so please ignore that bit, but just roll with it. Um, I hope you get a lot out of this. Um, It's not too overly emotional but obviously we are touching on the topics of um the death of a child so just be careful if you think you're going to be triggered by this sending you lots of love and i hope you absolutely love this episode hi suzanne thank you for being with me today hey debbie thank you so much for inviting me it's such a privilege Oh, I'm so excited to talk to you because I feel like you've got so much to share. Um, So I'm going to just basically open up straight away and I'm going to ask you to just introduce yourself to our lovely listeners, if that's all right. Yes. Okay. So um, I am a yoga instructor. I've been teaching yoga for 13 years. Most recently, I've been teaching a course called Yoga for Stress Management at my local community college. So I'm an adjunct professor and um, I teach high school juniors and college students. I am also a Jinchen Jitsu practitioner and Jinchen Jitsu is an ancient Japanese healing modality in which you use light touch and your breath to balance the mind, body, and spirit. Pre-pandemic, I primarily worked on other people, helping to balance their energy, release their discomfort, move their, release their stress. But since the pandemic, I've been teaching workshops on how you can do Jinchen Jitsu on yourself because there's a huge self-help component. So I'm always teaching different workshops on that, like stress, you know, stomach aches, headaches, all of that. I have a foundation that I started my oldest child, Christopher, had leukemia and sadly he passed when he was nine and I, I was destroyed, um, obviously, but one of the things I felt so strongly about was, um, my boys, two boys, I still say I have two boys. Um, my boys had such a good life and so many, so much hope and opportunities that a lot of kids didn't have. And so one of the things Christopher loved to do was create his own comics and even sold them on the front lawn. 
And so I didn't want my foundation to have anything to do with cancer because I couldn't be in that realm. So we created a um, program called, um, the foundation is called the Christopher Barron Live Life Foundation. And the um, workshops are called Christopher's Comic Book Inspirations. And we go into inner city schools and we bring in professionals from Manhattan, actually from New York City, not Manhattan, a different borough. Um, and I live not too far from New York and they teach the kids how to create their own original comic strips like the professionals. And we've been doing it for, oh my goodness, maybe 11 years. We've worked with over a thousand kids. And so, um, so I have that and, oh, I'm starting a podcast um, <laughs> on um, December 4th. And my podcast is called Finding Joy in the Hard. And we can talk about that a little, little bit. And I'm also writing a memoir. I'm in the final stages of the memoir. I've been working on it forever. I'm not going to tell you how many years because it's almost embarrassing. But um, I felt really compelled to write a memoir long before I ever thought of a podcast because so many people, like they would look at my life and be like, oh my God, you have such a sad life. And I'm like, no, 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 I really don't. See, Christopher had leukemia three times. Um, he had it at ages three, eight, and nine. Um, but he was in remission most of the time because you can get in remission after 28 days. Treatment is long. Mm -hmm. So with, with childhood leukemia, you get into remission within 28 days, but then treatment is two and a half years. But we still, he was still in school. He was still playing, you know, sports. He was still with his little buddies. We went away on vacation. Life was normal, you know? And so, um, right. So I wrote this book because it's called, um, it's called joy in the midst, but it might be changed to join the midst of hard. I'm not sure yet. And just because you can have joy in the midst of hard. And that's why my podcast, my podcast is called finding joy in the midst. Um, oh. because there is so much joy to be had. Yeah. And that's kind of why I've done following the joy. Well, first of all, let me say, I am so sorry to hear that obviously you lost a son because, I don't have children, but I've got nieces and nephews. And I think anybody listening, you know, that is anybody's worst nightmare and, it, and it's unimaginable. So my heart goes out to you and, and thank you very much for talking about it. And if it's okay with you, I'd like to talk a little bit about that. And then obviously how you kind of progress through and are this lovely, bubbly, happy person that I'm talking to today, because I'm sure that there were times that you didn't feel like that at all. And, oh. You sound like you've got a lot going on, but I'd love to kind of, kind of, if we can roll back and start at the beginning, if that's all right, if sure. you're all right with me asking you questions of about course. that. Of course, because, very open. Okay, perfect. So obviously you mentioned that Christopher had leukemia and I didn't even realise that first thing I've already learned something, you know, you can get remission after 28 days, but it's a, it's, it's a long treatment. But I mean, that in itself, did that take a huge toll on your family and your time? Did did your world just completely crumble or have you always been like, right, we just one day at a time, let's go. So I didn't tell you this, but when my boys were babies, I was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. That means I worried about everything all the time. Right. And then I find out when he's three and we had no warning. I mean, he woke up with like, you know, congestion and he was sluggish. And five days later, we learned that it's childhood leukemia. And I mentioned the anxiety because, you know, 
here I was phobic of germs and I have a child who can't be around germs. I'm like, really God, like really, you know? Um, but, but my children were so, oh yes, it blew up our world. It did. And we were like, I didn't know how to function. How does a child get cancer? Right. Yeah. I mean, you hear of it, but you never expect it to happen to your child ever. It's always somebody else's child. And, um, and, you know, we just, my husband said to me, like, he knew I could get really attached to it and that I might make cancer my cause. And, and he just said to me, like, on day two, Christopher is so much more than leukemia and our family is so much bigger than cancer. So we are not making this our cause. And it kind of set me straight. I'm like, yeah, 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 you're right. And, you know, he was still a little boy, right? They were, I had a one-year-old and a three-year-old at the time. Can you imagine? Like, I can't even remember. It's so hard to remember that I had a one-year-old and a three-year-old at the time. And we just, but they were still little boys. And yeah. so I came up with the idea. So when you have, a, um, when you have, when, when you're getting constant chemo infusions, you get a catheter. And so the catheter was in his chest and it was not too far from his heart. But when you have a catheter, this was called a porta catheter. When you have a catheter and you get a fever of 100.5, they might've changed it. It might be like 101 now, um, Fahrenheit. Everything's Fahrenheit in my country. Yeah. So <laughs> um, okay. can't even imagine what that would be Celsius, but, um, but so you have to go to the ER. You have to go to the ER because they have to make sure that it's not something serious. And that being said, I was like, okay, so we have to do, I made up, we have to do one fun thing a day, no matter what. So oh. I created that. And because you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, no one knows, but we could potentially be in the hospital the next day. So I didn't want to be like, oh, we'll do that tomorrow. And then tomorrow we're in the hospital, right? Yeah. So we came up with this one fun thing a day and it shaped our lives. You know, even though I had this full-blown anxiety, my boys being little boys was more important than falling into my anxiety. And, you know, and I did a lot for it and I was in therapy and I eventually went on treatment and that was huge. But they, I, I, I knew they would never get to be these young ages again. Christopher would be on treatment until he was five and a half. Ryan would be three and a half. They're two years apart. And we would miss so much if we waited. Mm. So we did things like that. And then the other thing I did that was huge, had no idea this would have such a huge impact. A friend of mine at the clinic where he was being treated said, you know, we're going to have really good times during this two and a half years. And if we don't pay attention to them, if we don't write them down, we're not gonna notice them or we're gonna forget them. So she started a gratitude journal and I did too. Oh. And so, I know. so every day, three to five things I wrote down and you know what it did? You don't realize this at the time, everyone's like, yeah, everybody does gratitude journals, what does it do, right? but it takes the focus off the negative and the hard and it gives more weight to the positive. So that too shifted our days. You know, it just, I would see like little things, joyful moments were easier to pay attention to because I recorded it at night. Yeah. And it's that power of attraction as well. Like the law of attraction. So, cause I 
started, I'm banging on about gratitude journals all the time this year um, because I started writing gratitude journals. And I noticed when I don't do them, my vibration drops a little bit and and then I don't feel as good. And when I do do them, it's like that kind of like law of attraction that I'm writing down good things and I'm positive for all the good things and I'm grateful for them. And then suddenly I'm seeing more good things or something that I would necessarily think, think oh, you know, or ignore completely. Yes. I would I would be like, oh, no, there, there is a bonus in that. And there is good in that. And I guess with you as well, I guess it also gives you something to look back on because knowing that there would have been horrendous times as well, you've got that kind of not only is it in the moment it keeps you kind of a little bit positive and like you said looking at like all the good things yes you've got that reference point to go back to to go actually it feels horrendous right now or terrible right now but look at what we have done and look at what we have achieved I don't know whether you you did that immediately or or Um, anything like that or if you you know I really didn't look back I really stayed in the present and um it was amazing how I was able to stay in the present moment because I was always with anxiety or often looking back or looking forward, right? Worrying about the future, worrying about something you said. Um, But I should tell you that it was kind of a miracle, but he never, so he was hospitalized for one week when he was first diagnosed and he was never in the, he was never hospitalized again for two and a half years. He never got sick enough. We would be driving to the hospital and um, I figured out some of his fevers could be from dehydration. So I'd be like, chug that Poland spring bottle. You know, like, <laughs> of course, Drink. you know, when he was, Drink. Yeah, so, I mean, he was a little three-year-old, but when he was four and five too, you know what I mean? But, um, but yeah, um, the gratitude, the one fun thing a day. Yeah. It made, it made such a difference. And I've since, and we can talk about that later. I now bring those things. I don't bring one fun thing a day, but I bring gratitude journals when I teach my students at the college. And yeah. um, it, that's like an interesting story, but we'll go, we can go there whenever you want. So, I mean, I like one fun thing again, even for adults. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't have to be something for children. I think adults should be doing one fun thing a day. Like just most enjoy life. Most definitely. Yes. You know, I mentioned it to the clinic nurse and she recommended it to all of her patients, but I agree. Adults should do one fun thing a day. That should probably be the name of my book instead of finding joy in the mist, but um, I'm in in the mist of heart, but um, yeah, because you don't know, you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. You might, you just might not feel well, or you might be crashed with an assignment at work or whatever. And you know, one fun thing for adults can be like sitting down and reading a chapter in your favorite book. You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, I was putting spaghetti pots in the living room with tennis balls and we were jumping from pillow to pillow. But <laughs> You sound like an awesome one. <laughs> I had so much fun with my kids. I love, love, loved. Like, I just had so much fun with them. But this is it, though. And I think as we get older, then like the kids grow up or like me, I don't have children and my nephews and nieces have, well, my nephews have grown up and have no nieces. Don't know why I'm saying nieces, but do you know what I mean? Like my friends, children, my friends, daughters and stuff, they've all grown up. So then I'm like, huh, okay. I want to play with Lego and I want to, you know, go out and dance and twirl around and do all sorts of stuff. So yeah, I definitely think we should um, definitely do more fun things. (laughs) Yeah. It makes such a difference. Yeah. So, so go on. tell me no. about how do how do you stay 
how or how do you keep a child kind of feeling like a normal child and not letting something like leukemia dictate your lives because obviously like your husband was very right in saying like it's not it's like we are not about cancer we're not about leukemia like we're about us as a family type of thing but how how do you maintain that or keep them as most normal life for both of your children because obviously you know it was happening to Christopher but Ryan would have just been had to be coming along with everything and and going along with everything with all the focus on his his older brother wouldn't he so yes so it's really interesting that you asked that question it wasn't my husband and I that kept it normal it was our kids and one of the very first things they said to us when we were at the hospital, it was like leukemia 101. We had to learn everything in three days, which, oh. um, but they said, your children will get you through this because their primary purpose is play. Oh. And so they didn't, he didn't see himself as any different, right? Christopher didn't lose his hair or not all of his hair the first time around and he wasn't in we had to pull him out we could so school he got sick in july and then school would have started in september pre-k three but we couldn't send him right away because the chemo was too intense but then he started in january for pre-k three but you know i think i did a lot of the worrying like i worried a lot like Okay, like I'll give you an example. So he had to take um, a chemo called 6MP every day. And I had to break it in half, right? He took half a dose. And so I would break it in half. And every time I, I would use a pill cutter. And if I didn't hear the crack, like a couple of times I didn't hear the crack, it's like, oh no, would that affect the efficacy? Wait a minute, if that affects the efficacy, he gets that every day, what does that mean? And so I would call the <coughs> pharmacy and he was like, became a good friend. Not really, but he knew me. <laughs> and uh, he's, I'm like, Matt, I didn't hear the crack, you know? And that was my anxiety kicking, kicking in. Yeah. And he was like, Did you, were your hands, do you wash your hands before you touch the pill? I'm like, of course. And he's like, well, your hands might've been a little wet, but it doesn't affect the efficacy. And I bring this up because, so yeah, I had the anxiety, but um, having, I think I probably went on medication maybe six months after he got sick. And that was huge for me. I still had anxiety, but it was so much less. Like it probably was what regular people have, right? Yeah. Instead of mine, like always being the driving force. And so the kids really dictated things. So we just, you know, if he had to go to clinic, we just, um, it was hard. It was super hard, but once he got in remission, I was convinced leukemia was in our past. Yeah. And so we lived like that, you know, and I became very like, go with the flow. Others may not agree with that, but. <laughs> you but felt like, yourself like you go with the flow. Yeah. Like, right. you know, like um, I remember this, I don't know why I remember this, but it came up. Um, he went through this bout where he was getting stomach, like just getting sick. And he, he did get sick, but it would only be in the morning. I mean, throwing up, right? And, um, but he went through this bout where he would get sick, like out of the blue, and then he'd be fine. So we were like at a pizza place. He's like, mom, I'm going to be sick. I'm like, okay, here you go. He threw up. I'm like, okay, you want to go to the train store now? And they're like, yeah. 
like that's going with the flow I think <laughs> yeah definitely whereas other mums might be like oh right we need to take you home because you might have a bug you're like hey we're yeah. dealing with things here so it's fine throw up let's go exactly <laughs> Drink exactly <water>. because <laughs> like it just became like I got very you know um so after he passed and and we can go back but I just want to share this after he passed um I, I was in deep, deep grief for three years. I wasn't this person. I was wanting to talk. I was talking about wanting to die. I, you know, constantly, I had felt like I had one leg in this world, one leg in the future, in the, in the next world, excuse me. And, and then I ended up teaching yoga to kids fighting chemo. Oh. But when the email came through, it was looking for te teachers to teach through this, um, this nonprofit. And I deleted the email. I'm like, absolutely not. There's no way I'm going to be around kids fighting chemo because I had this like shame. I had a lot of shame because I was envious. I can say this now, but I couldn't say this for a long time. Yeah. I was envious of kids beating cancer. Like, which, because- why did they get to live when my son didn't, right? So I had so much shame around that and I didn't really tell anyone. And so how could I be in the same room with a child fighting cancer? A month later, the email came through again. No teacher was found. And I heard this voice and I know it was not my voice. And it said, say, yes, this isn't just for the children. Like you're not just helping the children. So I said, yes super scared, but I did it anyway. And like, I was seeing such a separation between those moms and those kids and me. But as it turned out, those kids were Christopher and the moms were me. Yeah. <laughs> and the Just under a different name. Yeah. And the reason I bring it up is because like, I was the perfect teacher. And so many people said this to me, they're like you, because I got it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so when the kids, they, we were doing yoga while they were on IVs. Oh, and the moms that's amazing. Were like, I know. Right. And the moms were like, they're on an IV. Can, can they do that? And I'm like, my son was playing tag with his little brother and my sister in the hospital room. Yes, they can do it. But I didn't tell them that because none of the parents could know my story. Like I said to the medical staff, you know, my story, but they can't know my story because I want them to have hope and I don't want them to have fear. Oh, that's quite nice. But also though, I think it, even just having somebody else who's been through it, regardless of the outcome of, you know, at the end of it, I think, but I understand where oh. you're coming from about like not wanting to somebody to go through fear. But sometimes I think like going back to what you were saying before about, I mean, obviously you went into deep grief and asking the questions why, but you must have asked the questions why all the way along. Like anybody would. I mean, I definitely would like, why now? Why him? Why not me? What have I done? Have I, could I, have I, should I have looked at something? Should I have seen something? Like it's something that we naturally go through when anybody goes through anything. Just those, we always turn the mirror around and blame ourselves a little bit don't we like what could I have done differently it's just part of the grieving process isn't it like how could I have helped could it have been changed why this why now what what like there's and there's you never get answers really do you at the end of the day you've just got no. to make, make peace with it and I had that every step of the way so when he got sick you know when he got leukemia they can't tell you why he got leukemia they they just 
they don't know, or they didn't know then. And, um, this was, he got sick in 2001. And, um, and so I was like, was it the fertilizer? Was it something I missed? You know, he did have that meltdown at the pool. Could that have been an indication, you know, and all along the way, my son was a preemie. He was a preemie. I'm like, did I walk too much? Did I not drink enough water? You know, it was constant. And then when he got sick the second time, he was eight. So he was in remission. He finished when he was five and he actually got to close to the five-year mark of remission, like that magical five-year mark. He got sick. He got, he relapsed maybe three months before. And so then it was like, wait a minute. Oh, it was those vaccines. Like I blamed it on the vaccines without having proof, right? No proof. Yeah. I blamed it on like, what could I have done? It was always my fault. Like I always found a way to blame me, right? Moms do that. Yeah. And, um, and eventually I have to say, I let the guilt go because the guilt was eating me alive. And, and even guilt that I had after he passed, well, there's a lot of guilt after a child dies. Um, And one of my friends in an online grief group that I was in said it perfectly. She said, our job as parents is to keep our children safe. And when we can't do that, we blame ourselves. Yeah. It makes complete sense. And it also makes sense before about what you were saying about, you know, like with the pills and stuff, because it, when everything else is out of control, if you can control something, even like the chopping of a pill perfectly, it just appeases your brain a tiny, tiny bit just to know that you're in control of something because when everything else is just like the rug has been pulled out and everything's up in the air, you want that form of control in some form, way, shape or form. And it sounds like yours was chopping pills till you hear the snap and getting it perfect. Yes. And the other piece of control was that one fun thing a day, right? Yes. That was what, and his diet. I was really into controlling his diet. I've always eaten healthy. So, you know, I made sure my kids ate healthy too. So it was his diet. And then like one fun thing a day, if I could do those things, then I had control, then I can make a difference then, you know? Yeah. So I know you said like you, you let go of guilt, but how? Do you even start to do that? It was a long time. It was so when I are you talking about pre-death or as post-death? Um, well, probably any of it. post. Yeah. Um I think I got so so when he was here, um I think I let it go because I just moved on to like the next thing we were doing and you can't yeah. keep living in the past because then you're not present, you yeah. know, and, um, and they were, so, I mean, little kids are so adorable, right? And they come out with the sweetest, craziest things and they just yank you into the present moment. And um, I think, I can't remember exactly when he was here. I think I feel like I just went on to the next thing. You know what I mean? I just went on to the next thing. And um, being on anti-anxiety medicine helped a lot, right? Because I was on it for five years. I was a huge believer in it uh, because it made me a better mom. Because it made me be more present to my kids, which is what they needed. After his death, it was just... So when he... the like right when he was, um, the day before he died, 
he um something happened and we thought it was we thought it was a um seizure but he was actually having a stroke and i don't really talk about that very much mm. because it was so painful but um but so so he was on a ton of medicine right this was when he was 9 and he was in the hospital in new york city and i um he had torn his esophagus um, because his white blood counts were so low that happens apparently when you have long, um, uh, very low white blood counts for a while. And so he, um, we couldn't give him Tylenol, right. But he had a fever. So I was using essential oils. So lavender and peppermint oil, both lower your temperature. They lower your fever. Oh, I didn't know that. That's good yeah. Know. Isn't that incredible? Mm. So I was putting lavender oil on him and then I, I don't know if we had Google, but I it looked it up on the internet, whatever we had back then. This was yeah. in 2007. And it said that like lavender was not good for with chemo, right? And that was probably just some random person who had no clue what they were talking about. So I said to the nurse, I'm like, oh my God, did I do this? But mm. of course it has to be my fault, right? She's like, look at his IV pole. Look how many medicines he's on. You did not do this. So- you know, eventually I talked to some doctors who I became friendly with and because I was in such good contact, close contact with, and they're like, you did not do this. Like, you did not do this. And just slowly, um, prayer was huge for me. I have a very strong faith. After Christopher died, I had no faith, but but faith was the only thing that without faith, I couldn't have survived. Um, I got to that point. Uh so just slowly, I realized that, you know, I got to let, I have to let myself off the hook because, so when something terrible, like a death happens, um, at least for me, but I've talked to other people and I've heard this as well. You can't, you don't see the good. You only just keep focusing on the bad. You keep focusing on the bad. And then mm -hmm. slowly you start to see more of the good and you forget about the bad and you start to remember more of the good. And, and yes, while I didn't look back at those gratitude journals when he was alive, I did look back at them after he passed, right? Yeah. Because then I had all of those fun moments written down. And I was seeing a grief counselor at the time. I stopped, actually took myself off anti-anxiety medicine after he died. <laughs> I just was like, the worst thing has happened. What else, what was there to be yeah. afraid of? And um and I stopped seeing my therapist, but I started seeing a grief counselor. And she, one of the things she suggested was you need to put together a toolbox. And anybody, this could be for anyone who's going through a hard time. And put all of the things that you love to do in this toolbox. So at the time for me, it was running um, prayer. At the time I was read, I was doing Bible studies. Uh, I started an art class after he died. So it was drawing and painting and all these other things. And then when I would feel really low and I'd go in there and I was feeling really low and she's like, how's your toolbox? Are you using it? I'm like, nope, <laughs> you know? So it's, for me, it was time. I did a lot of journaling. I wrote a lot to Christopher. Christopher gave me, still gives me so many signs. He visited me in his in my dreams, telling me he was okay. Um, and it was it was a interest to want to be 
better. So I say I was in deep grief for three years. And a lot of people say after their first year, it gets worse the second year. And I would have said that too, but I wrote in a journal daily. And so I could look back and be like, yeah, it feels harder, but I'm doing more than I was a year ago. Like a year ago, I didn't leave the house except for to take my son to school. You know, but yeah. this year I did whatever, right? So Yeah. So again, those journals were good for you to reflect back and be like, look how far I have come. Even exactly. if it's like, you know, an inch further, it's still further, isn't it? You know, so look how yes. far I've come. Yes. And then the other thing that helped and um was like, even though Christopher wasn't here, I still wanted to make him happy because he was still my child, right? Yeah. And so and so I made sure that so the his birthday and the anniversary of his death could be very sad days, right? They could be yeah. really sad days. But I still had a younger son. And my husband and I made the decision that we somehow had to pull it together because how terrible would it be if our, he was seven when Christopher died. So yeah. how terrible would it be if his life was messed up because his parents just couldn't get, get pull their, pull themselves together, you know? Yeah. He would have lost his again. brother and then his parents as well, essentially, wouldn't he? So exactly. You know, and he had to watch, you know, he never went through that rebellious teenager stage. And I wonder I didn't talk to him about it because I didn't want to bring it on. No, I don't know. I'm kidding. But um, he never went through it. But I think it's because he already saw his parents. Like he saw us crying. You know, he saw us hysterical. He like he already knew. I don't. I don't think he wanted to put any give us any pain or discomfort because he already saw so much, right? Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I know we talked about before, and um, you asked me to talk more about it, was. So the anniversary of Christopher's death, I changed the way I approached it. So this, the first, the second anniversary of his death, I decided I was going to take Ryan and my nephew, Jake. They, the three of them, they were um, one year apart. So, you know, mm -hmm. Jake falls in the middle. And so I decided I would take them to Long Beach Island. Um, it's the Jersey Shore uh, and New, in New Jersey. And he, so we went because in 2006, this is probably 2009, maybe. In 2006, I took my boys there. We had so much fun. We did everything. We had so much fun. So we went, we decided to go there on the anniversary of Christopher's death because I wanted my Jake and Chris and Ryan, excuse me, to have like a fun day, you know, yeah. and, and it felt like Christopher was with us. But of course, the day we woke up, pouring rain, I live an hour and a half from the beach. So I'm like, oh, it's probably better at the beach. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's not raining. Get to the beach, pouring rain. Yeah. So we went to the water park because we were going to get wet anyway. I love that. See, the weather matches your mood, but you know, you've just got to yeah. roll with it and yeah, find yeah. find the silver lining in the clouds. Yeah. And you know, I have to tell you, like while I was doing that, I was also like sunshine was really, I didn't like sunshine after Christopher died mm. um, because it was too painful. Like it, it was too happy. It was, you know, I liked 
the cloudy days because it re- it reflected how I was feeling inside. Yeah. But I remember maybe like a year and a half after his death or maybe a year. And I remember thinking like, oh, wow, I remember what happiness feels like. You know, I want to be happy again. That was probably more like six months because I was happy when I was with Ryan. You know, we would have laughter and such. So it was in and out. But so, yes, I changed the the way we thought of the anniversary of the death. So on the on his anniversary, we always did things. We always ate his favorite foods. It was summertime. So I was often at the beach with my whole family, my siblings and all of their kids and spouses. And we would do something we never did before. One year we went stand up paddle boarding. One year it was my, yeah, but that wasn't the crazy one. The crazy <laughs> one was when I was with my husband and son in Utah. And I'm like, let's go ATV riding. How <laughs> fun would that be? I, I love ATV was, riding. No, I do not love it. It was, I thought it would be a four person car. <clears throat> I had to drive my own car. I don't like driving a rental car. Like we had to go <laughs> and we went over mountain boulders. And I was like, okay, okay. Well, if I die, it won't be the worst thing that's ever happened to me on this day. So, well, it'd be the worst thing for my husband and my son because then they would have lost both of us. But <laughs> So I think those things, like I fought so hard to save my child. I fought so hard to give my boys a normal life. That was so important to me. And because I fought so hard and my husband fought so hard, I think that changed post his death, right? Like once we got through the really deep grief, I was used to fighting. So then I was fighting to give my um, living child, you know, an ordinary life, trying to make so... Some parents, when they lose their child, all different ways, I had that that way of being. Like I was so used to having to fight. But yeah. that's not a bad thing. That was a good thing, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I guess in a way, it was probably a blessing that you had another child because it would have been so easy to fall into like if you if that was your only child to fall into like the deepest grief possible and just never pull yourself out but I guess my question is did you fight so hard to give Ryan a normal life yes that it was a detriment to yourself as in did you look after yourself as well because you (laughs) must have there must have been times I guess when you were you know, hi, let's go and do this today. And then just inside breaking and wait till you get to a quiet point on your own and just completely like let the grief out type of thing. Yeah, actually it wasn't like that at all. So I didn't really have the ability to piecemeal it like that, right? Okay. I was, I probably, I could have very well have done some harm to him in that, and I don't mean harm, physical harm. I don't mean that, is that I was crying so much all the time. Right. And so he witnessed that a lot. I remember one morning, uh, he and I, the three of us slept in Christopher's bed the night we came home from the hospital without him, which was horrible. Mm -hmm. So horrible. I can't even get into how horrible it was. And like, there is no word for it. No parent. If you've never lost a child, you can't even imagine it because anything you can imagine, it's 1 billion times worse. Yeah. So, but then Ryan and Rich moved back. He's like, I 
me to, I need a comfortable bed. But Ryan and I stayed in Christopher's bed probably for a few months, right? Because we just felt closer to Christopher. But I would get up early and go downstairs. I don't want to cry. I tried not to cry in front of him, but sometimes I couldn't help it is what I mean. So I would go downstairs, but he could hear me, right? And um, one day he came down, he was seven and I was reading something and he he he's like, what are you reading? And somebody gave something to me about death and death and um, children. And I said, oh, it's about something about dying. I don't know what I said, something like that. (laughs) Takes it out of my hand and he puts it in the desk drawer and he's like, this isn't good for you. Don't read this. Oh, what a sweetheart. Seven. Mm. I know. So he, you know, we, I, I would drop him off at school. So my husband made the decision that Ryan, Ryan was in an all day camp this summer. Christopher died because we were spending so much time going in and out of the city. We would bring Ryan with us sometimes, you know, we would just, you know, we would just, when, when he got the third cancer, when he was nine, um, we would pull Ryan out of school and be like, you're coming to treatment today. Or, you know, like, you're not going to camp, you're coming with us. So, yeah. but my husband made the decision. He had to go back to camp one week after Christopher died, which was super hard for me because I wasn't ready to let him go, but I gave in. And so then he was off at camp. And then my husband and I were home for the first month and a half. And then Ryan went off to, to second grade. Um, in September. So I would drop him off at school. So then by then I was holding it together a little bit better in front of him. He would go off to school and I would come home and fall apart. Mm-hmm. So, um, but one of the things I became very, um, I, I just realized that I, I came to the understanding that fighting is so important for siblings. One of his nurses early on, one of Christopher's nurses early on said, if they fight, fighting is a good thing because you have to have energy to fight. You know, if you're too oh, sick, you're not going to fight. Yeah. I was thinking so oh, it's all about parents... conflict resolution and stuff, but no, it's, yeah, about, yeah, because yes. you've got the the energy to be like, I hate you. <laughs> exactly. So all your listeners, like when your children fight, like remember that, like that's like <laughs> fighting is a good thing. I know it's hard because you don't want to hear the fighting. So, but I like had the realization that, oh my goodness, Ryan doesn't have anyone to fight with anymore. And that's a huge, that's a huge outlet for kids, right? Kids need to fight because they, it's how they get rid of so much extra um, stress. Yeah. And we don't like it as parents, but it is a release. And so I tried to offer Ryan releases. Like if he, you know, if he talked back to me, I'd be like, prior to, Christopher's death I'd be like you cannot do that but I would let it go or you know I would tell him he can go up to his room and you know I know some people might not agree with this but like I'm like go up to your room and if you want to say a bad word sometimes he would say the really bad word I'm like do it I don't care if that gives you release so he did that one day and he went upstairs and he comes back down I'm like did it help and he's like no really you can't just say the word when it's not related to anything he's seven when he's telling me this he sounds like a very very uh mature seven year old <laughs> i know so then something happened and i don't know what he did something maybe he hurt his finger and he's like oh crap 
I hope I, that's okay that I said that. That's okay. Don't <laughs> worry. I've heard worse on this podcast. <laughs> okay. Okay. And I said, do you feel better? And he's like, yeah, that felt better. <laughs> do you know what? Sometimes being taught by a seven-year-old, this is it. Sometimes you just need to swear when something happens. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, and we would have like little screaming contest who could scream louder about missing his brother. And, you know, and he would put pillows on his ears when I would scream and, I, you know, and it became like a game, but it was an outlet for him. But oddly enough, that day I was at my hairdresser and she was telling me that when a light pops, she knew her grandmother was near. We were having this screaming match and the light bulb popped. Wow. Oh, I like that. I like anything to do with signs from people who have passed. Like I see them everywhere and I love it. Robins for me are a big one. It's amazing that you say Robins because I was uh, recording a podcast with um, another woman um, in our group and Mm -hmm. uh, Lucy Reynolds. And we started talking about signs because she lost her husband. And I didn't know. Do you know the meaning of Robins? Yeah, it's like a a spirit person coming just to basically um, like just tell you that they're there or acknowledge you or give you hope and stuff. I'm sure it's something like that. Yeah. So that's what exactly what it is. She said that it means your loved, your loved one is near. Yeah. Which I I love that. Right. But I didn't know that. So I knew about Cardinals being like the, the bird of, I don't know, death or don't quote me on that. But, but after Christopher passed, so like I had so many Robins on my front lawn I started cycling because my husband, I didn't want to cycle previous, but then I'm like, what's there to be afraid of? Who cares if I cycle in traffic? I wasn't going to get hurt, but you know, the fear was gone. And when I was cycling to the cemetery one day, like a a, a Robin almost hit me in the head and um, I'd see a Robin. I'd be like, Hey bud, how are you? Like now I have to tell you, I don't, I know that he's not a bird. I know it's his energy that sent him. Yeah. That that sent the bird. (laughs) So, I love that though. But, I literally have conversations with Robins like you just did because they, they're such a good songbird as well. Like you just don't think about it. I think ours look a little bit different to yours in the States and we definitely don't have cardinals in the UK. But yeah, every time I see Robin, I'm like, hi. And it's like at me and I'm like, oh, well, that's lovely. Thanks very much. Thanks for being there. And then it'll chitter away to me again. And then I'm like, oh, thanks very much. See you later. Bye. <laughs> that's so interesting because Lucy's from the UK too. Wow. Oh. Now, did you, you go. Lose, did you lose someone close? I'm so sorry. I've lost, well, I mean, grandparents. I lost also um, when I was 16, a guy that kind of was in my social circle, boyfriend, who was at that age, um, passed suddenly. And that kind of was a, a massive grief thing for me. And so I had some of those feelings that you had. So I didn't do my exams at that stage because I was literally like, if I can die tomorrow, what is the point of sitting an exam? Um, mm. And I, I think I, a lot of my attitude through life has very much come from if I can die tomorrow, I can go backpacking around Australia. Um, I, you know, I've basically gone, I'll do whatever I want to do because I might die tomorrow. So I think it's it's kind of like a good thing. Mm. As long as you've processed grief, I think it's a good thing to kind of have those attitudes. But I also think sometimes that attitude needs reigning in a little bit instead of being like, oh, I'm not happy. I'm just going to go do something. Else. And sometimes you just, 
not learning the lesson that you need to learn from not being happy and going through that and need to and you just keep getting the lesson until yes 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 so yeah but yeah I mean I I love robins anyway I love any form of symbolism of anything like everywhere I go there's ladybirds it's so bizarre even in places where you don't find ladybirds wherever I go there's a ladybird my dad calls me like the queen of ladybirds and they're supposed to bring luck so I'll have ladybirds for luck thank you very much oh you call them ladybugs don't you over in the states we do we do and ladybugs (laughs) yes yes ladybugs are a sign too but mostly hearts I get mostly hearts from Christopher oh I love that because he knew I loved hearts and I get them everywhere like in egg yolks in my son fell off his bike it was a heart scab I mean oh oh amazing I love crystal jewelry if you want something gorgeous to wear on your wrist that has some amazing healing properties check out Nisi B Jewellery on social media or on her website which is www.nisibjewellery.co.uk and that is spelt n-i-s-e-y-b-e-e-j-e-w-e-l-l-e-r-y go treat yourself or someone you love to something wonderful now then everywhere Let's talk positive things about Christopher because obviously we don't want to assimilate him or associate it with with yeah um, for sure like with leukemia like yeah for F, sure Thank F you. cancer F leukemia yes. let's talk fun things he loved comic books yes he what was loved his favorite color or what is his favorite color favorite color was red or blue okay little debate on that <laughs> did that come out in all of his comic drawings and stuff so he actually created a a comic called um ultimate man it, it ultimate man was the character and it's called birth of a hero so on our foundation t-shirts we have his character on the back oh and, that's so um, cute he loved superheroes so that's what it was my husband loved comics and so he read the original spider-man series from the 1960s to my boys as bedtime stories when they were little so and you know christopher loved Harry Potter and he loved you know all the things that I love Harry Potter (laughs) yes 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 you know and so he loved swimming and he loved he you know like my mom would say you know Christopher just loves the ordinary things like he would love a barbecue at Nana and Pop-Up's house with all the cousins or you know he just he just uh I I always said he was an extraordinary ordinary little boy you know, because he was extraordinary, but then he just wanted to be ordinary, didn't want to be different from anyone else. And there's definitely a lesson there to actually just enjoy the ordinary things, because I think sometimes in life, we just, we worry about the destination and not the getting there and the adventure of just everyday life and having those laughs and, you know, playing outside or like, like having a barbecue or a grill or, you know, just going to the mall and seeing what fun things you can get up to type of thing. So I feel like that's a good lesson that you can take or we can all can take from that. You know, I think my journey um, encouraged me to live much more presently, like I've said, encouraged me to do things that I would definitely have been much more like a rush, like a, like, hurry up, hurry up. You know, like, Mm. I probably still did that because my son wrote a poem and it was about rushing mom, but... Out of the mouths of children, right? (laughs) Yes, exactly. But like, you know, one day in the summer, I said like, okay, we'll go swimming tomorrow. 
you know, and the next day it was 50 degrees and cloudy. And I came downstairs and one of them had their goggles on. I think both of them were sitting there in the house with their swim goggles on. And I was like, yes, we're going to the pool. And, you know, I was the only parent there. There were four kids in the pool. There were, this is the town pool. There were two of them were mine. But, you know, maybe if I hadn't had all of this, I would have been like, no, it's terrible. And I'm going to freeze. Then it started to rain, but they stayed, yeah. They were, you know, like, so we did things like that, that we, my younger sister, um, Camille would always say, I want to hang out with the Barons because they make everything fun. That's the you greatest know? compliment. Yes, exactly. We'd go to dinner and we'd have such a fun time, the four of us. And, you know, and we eventually, like, I want to make it clear that um, not everyone who loses a child is like this, but I, I do have joy. I had so much joy before and I have so much joy after. And, you know, Thanksgiving, it was my, um, we, we, we purposely did it small. And the next day we got together with my gigantic family, but it was the four of us. It was my husband, my son, and my mother-in-law. And at different times we were like belly laughing, you know, I do have joy, but there are things that I do every day to keep myself in a good place. And I, and I do them without fail. That's your basic self-care. And it's like so, having what you said before, actually, about like, you know, toolbox that your um, your lady told you about. I literally talked about this with my coach who was um, on one of my previous episodes about anybody can benefit from a toolbox. We, we call it like your self-care one, just have it at the back of your journal. And like you said, is it a walk in nature? Is it swimming? Is it, you know, just three deep breaths? Whatever it is, like short term, like something that takes two minutes, something that takes an hour so that you can literally, it's like a menu that you can go to and pick off it and go, that's what I'm doing right now because I need to just feel that better, like that immediate spark of happiness or better or whatever it is. Right. Even if it's right. looking at like dog farts on YouTube or something. <laughs> whatever it is, that, whatever it that's is. for you. For, <laughs> for me, it's meditation. I have to meditate daily. I do actually a mantra meditation. So I chant. Um, it's, it helps to make you happier. It helps your memory. It helps all of that, right? And then I do a four-minute visualization and a gratitude journal, and I do those without fail. And then I yeah. teach that to my students as well, right? They, yeah. you should see them. The high, the sixteen-year-olds that look at me when I tell them they're going to chant for three minutes every day for a week, <laughs> but they come back and they're 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 like, "Thank you so much for giving that to us during finals because I was so much less stressed." I had less depression. I remembered things better. Yeah. So doing this chanting and uh, meditation, is that what got you into yoga or kind of, was it like the two kind of came together? Yeah, so that's a great question. Actually, my boys got me into yoga. So I signed them up for a yoga class when they were four and two. And, And they, it was, you know, it was kids yoga and they, they just had so much fun. I decided to try it myself. And so I practiced it a lot, um, you know, pretty much. It wasn't a teacher. I just went to yoga often. It really helped me to, you know, yoga is so great because it helps you to see beyond what you can see, you know, and it helps you to um, know that you can do so much more than you think you can, right? Because you do these crazy poses that you never thought you could do. (laughs) But yoga really helped me. Yoga, meditation, breath work were also part of, you know, my toolbox, part of my lifesavers that 
helped me when I was in deep grief, especially Kundalini yoga. Um, that's not like any other kind of yoga. You might be like flapping your arms up and down for four minutes. It doesn't look like. Oh, wow. Yoga. Okay. I've never but been to Kundalini that. yoga, but it's on my list of to do things. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. And it really helps the brain, right? Because it, so a lot of the time, so what the chanting does is we have meridians, of course, all throughout the body, but we also have them on the roof of the mouth. So when we say those syllables in a row, you know, like I, I, I do the Kriya, it's called Satanama. Mm. And so it starts to change your brain waves, you know, and if you oh. do it every day, then it starts to change, um, you know, and I notice, so I still have some anxiety, right? It's not nearly what it used to be. Um, but I know doing this Satanama for 12 minutes a day, every day, I am much more calm. We were in Utah this past summer. My younger son is now 23. We hiked up to the top of the mountain and he got up and he's like, he got up much faster. And of course, and then he said, um, I have to get down. Like, I just don't like it up here. It was super windy. It was, you know, super, super windy. Yeah. And he just went down by himself. And the old me would have been like, oh, shoot, like, oh what he could trip he could fall like no one would know there's not that yeah. many people in the all mountain. the what ifs all the yeah. what ifs right I still have them right but I'd been doing this meditation already for like 30 days and I knew in my heart he would be okay and that was so huge right yeah such a relief and then oh. I also practiced jin shin jitsu on myself daily simply the, the thumb the, the fingers are related to different emotions Right, so, hang on. Stop with the right. Jin chin jit. Right, jin chin jitsu. Correct. So jin, <laughs> think about that with your drinking. teeth in. Yeah. Right. Jin, think about the drink. Shin, yeah. think about your shin bone, and then jitsu. Okay. Right, just like jitsu, but because jitsu is the art of. So oh, um, okay. So jin shin jitsu, and so there's. Uh, I'll try to make it as simple as possible. So there's, um, there's twenty, there's. There's locations on each, on 26, on each side of the body. They're not called locations. They're called something else. They're called yeah. safety energy locks, but, and you hold them and they help with physical discomfort, emotional discomfort and um, mental discomfort. But the simplest thing that I teach is the fingers are related to a different emotion, a different body part and a different mm -hmm. organ. So simply holding the thumb helps with worry. Oh, like literally... If you've got like your this. hand up and you've got your other hand wrapped around your thumb. Yes. But no squeezing, light touch. Just light touch. Okay. So and just I hold it. Just hold it. And, you know, it could be, people always ask how long, you know, maybe two minutes. I, two minutes is too short for me. I will just find if I'm feeling a little uneasy, I just go to the thumb. It also helps with preoccupation. It helps with stomach aches. It helps with focus. Ooh. Who knew all of that was literally in your fingertips or in your thumbtips? Right. Yeah, that's I awesome. Know. What are your other fingers for? Oh, okay. So um, <laughs> the the in the index finger is. I'm just going to give you the emotions to make it simple. Yeah. Okay. Unless you want to know more. No, just um, give us the emotions. I think so too. Um, the index finger is fear. Okay. The middle finger. Can you guess the middle finger? Anger. You got it. Yes. <laughs> Is that why we flick the bird at people? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> they always say in Jinshin Jitsu, when you give the bird, reach for the finger. 
<laughs> like hold the finger rather than giving the bird, right? Oh, wow. Okay. Nice. The, the ring finger is sadness and okay. grief. And those are the hardest emotions to remove from the body, of course. Yeah. And the ring finger, the pinky, excuse me, is um, self-esteem oh, and okay. it's confidence. So if you find yourself using the word try, like I'll try that or I'll try, hold that pinky. Oh, because, and then you, I will, I will do this. So I yeah, am already it, doing this. Yeah, exactly. Isn't that incredible? Ooh, I love that. Yeah, I think the listeners will love that. So let's just go through. So thumb is, what was thumb? Worry. I'm so thumb is simple. <clears throat> worry, thumb is worry. Then the forefinger was? Fear. Fear. And then the middle one I know is anger. And then the ring finger is the grief and the and sadness. And the little finger is self-confidence. Yes. Oh, you got it. Awesome. I hope everybody listening to this now is just just <laughs> note, note those down. Just rewind a little bit. Note those down, and then exactly just literally hold on to whatever you whatever you want to do. So, do you have yes. a practice doing Jinshin Jitsu? I do. I do. Okay. I actually, you mean my self practice or a teaching practice? Which like a mean? teaching practice? I do. I do. So I actually. So what I was doing. So I always bring it into my yoga classes. I also, during the pandemic, you know, everybody was so anxious, right? And I've dealt with anxiety my whole life and I have so many tools. So I started a newsletter where I would, um, because I'm a writer, I would have like a little mindfulness, aha, like something that just would come to me, like, why am I letting this bother me? You know, and it'd be like a little paragraph about that. Because everybody always has that. Like, why am I let, you know, why am I letting the computer taking so long to load, bother me, you know, things like that. Yes. And then I always give a Jinshin Jitsu tip at the bottom of it. Always. Oh, okay. And that, so that's in my weekly newsletter. And then I also started a complimentary meditation that is open to all on Monday morning. So if it's 8am for me, it's probably 1pm for you. Yes. Right. So it's, 10 to 15 minutes. It's short. It's in and out. It's a Jin Shin Jitsu guided meditation. Is that online? It is online. It's via Zoom. All of the information is in my newsletter. I will, I can give it to you if you want. Um, I'll give you all that information for your show notes. All of the links in the, in the show notes. Yeah. So I've been doing that for three years and in the summer, not in the summer, I was doing little pop-up classes, like 30-minute classes, like Jin Shin Jitsu for headaches, Jin Shin Jitsu for allergies, Jin Shin Jitsu for, you know, worry. But what I'm going to be doing, I'm actually launching it in January. I am doing a, I decided to teach the, what we call the safety energy lock. So there's 26 and each one, like they're related to your fingers, of course, but they're, each one has a spiritual physical and mental meaning but if you hold each one it will help release different discomfort so what's a quick example um and and, and jinshin jitsu is intuitive we do things all the time that we don't even realize so like right yes. now you know like your oh, headphone fell out so yeah like, so like when it, like if you're in shock you either put it to your face or you put it to your chest don't you or like actually i've noticed now that you've told me that that like my mom holds her wrist or a hands down my mum's in a care home she's got dementia and parkinson's so she can't articulate how she's feeling but sometimes she'll hold a finger or she'll hold her wrist or her hand so that's probably self-soothing in a way isn't it 
It is. So holding the wrist helps with calming nervousness and it also connects to your intuition. And, and so, yes. And so people, when they do presentations, they'll hold the wrist because it calms you down. Yes. Or sometimes people will put their hand, like they'll, you know, say they're sitting at a desk and they'll put their elbow down and they'll put their hand on their forehead. Right. We do that a lot. Right. When we're thinking the right on the forehead, there's a certain area on the forehead that helps with memory. Wow. So we naturally do it anyway, don't we? It's yes. just that this is a, a Japanese practice, isn't it? That's it is. It is. And it's 3,000. It. Yes, exactly. And it's 3,000 years old, but it was rediscovered in the early 1900s. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, by a man by the name of Jeremiah. So, but what I'll be teaching is I'll be teaching where all the safety energy locks are, how to hold them, how long to hold them, what they mean. And the really cool part is that in learning Jinshin Jitsu, you learn numerology because you learn what one means and you learn what like 12 means and you know what like neck pain means. Neck pain is all about control. Can you believe it? (laughs) Oh, no, I'm I'm all over all of this. Any form of pain in my body I generally think it's to do with something else it's not like it, the pain is the result it's like don't treat the result treat what's going on in the first place so it's yes. like kind of releasing the emotion or like neck from I couldn't move my neck earlier on this year like literally couldn't twist it around or anything and that's mm. only being able to see in one direction not be able to see all the directions and you've got to like let certain things go or let certain beliefs go in order to be able to kind of heal yourself. So I love all of this. I feel like I'm going to have to start going to Jinsen Jitsu. So I'm going to like maybe be coming online and be like, you'll see me every week. Hello. Join me. Yes, please. Oh, and on Instagram, I also, like the other day I came home, the, I posted a video on um, a quick hold for your immune system. Like, so I put things on Instagram too, like teachings okay. and things like that. So, but, you know, interestingly enough, like if the pain is in your neck, usually if the symptom is in your neck, the cause is usually below the waistline because if Mm. it's, so if your discomfort is below the waistline, the cause is usually above the waistline and vice versa. Oh, isn't that interesting? Yeah, Yeah. that is interesting. It's fascinating. So, yeah, so I really want people to be able to help themselves, right? Because I love the fact that say I have food allergies, that's not a good thing, but I know that if I eat the wrong thing, so most of them are intolerances, right? Um, I I do not eat the things I'm allergic to, but sometimes I eat the things I'm intolerant of, right? Or I don't know it's in there, right? And I know I can do a spleen flow to help, to help um, bring myself back to balance. Oh, okay. Oh, yes. I love that. I, I learned Reiki this year. So I do Reiki on myself every single day. And I've noticed that actually, since I've been balancing my energy, I haven't had, I used to have um, tension headaches that lasted three days and I haven't had them since I have been giving myself Reiki every single day. That's it's, huge. Yeah. It, it, I love ed- everything about energy healing and as, do as much as possible. I mean, sometimes we need to to take the drugs, but, you know, do as much as Most possible definitely. to sometimes. heal ourselves. You know, we're, we're not doctors. So, you know. Yes. And it's of- always... It's yes, yes. And thank you for bringing that up because it is complementary to modern medicine, right? It's not in place. Yeah, absolutely. So sometimes you need the meds, but sometimes it's the journey to them that you can kind of ease yourself yes, on a slightly sure. different path, can't you? So oh, sure. so so you do that and you do 
your yoga and yes you teach your yoga to you still do the um the cancer so no I gave that up so when I was working on maybe 2015 was my last time because I was really really in the thick of writing the memoir and it was very hard to you know be writing about my you know my son's difficult times in the book and then also seeing the kids and it yeah. just I just said to them I need a break I need to take time off and so they were you know they were fine with that I I worked there for maybe three years they were so appreciative when I was there and so but now I love it that I you know I get to see kids through my foundation but that's just comic books related right we work with fourth graders we used to work with fifth graders and that's you say every- that's just comic book related but that sounds amazing it really it, does. It, it really is amazing. The kids get to learn. They they create their own original character. They learn to pen it. Excuse me. They learn to pencil it and ink it and color it like the professionals. And then they create a comic story before they do the strip, right? So they learn how to create. They, they of course, plot it. And then they learn to um, do everything. They learn to pencil, ink, letter everything that a professional would do they do on their own little comic amazing and these are children who wouldn't necessarily get the opportunity to do this normally correct correct and so do you take donations from businesses or just individuals do you do fundraisers as in like if people are listening want to donate some money Yes. This is, plug we, it. Plug it now, Suzanne. Yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you. We do it, we, we do it through the foundation website. Anyone that, um, yes, anyone that is open to giving, yes, we take donations from anyone who wants to give. We have done fundraisers. We just did a fundraiser. So during the pandemic, you know, everything changed for everybody. But yeah. um, we started a, actually, this was a good thing. So we never did a run pre-pandemic because runs can be very um, expensive because you have to get insurance, right? Because people are running. So we never did that. But then we did a virtual run. People could run on their own and then they would tell us. And we raised a lot of money from that. And we made the, the entry fee was so low. So Christopher just turned 25 in April. So the fee was $25, right? And the, oh. when we did it the year before, I think we did it two years before that and during the pandemic and it was 23. You know, it was open for 23 days. Yeah. You ran 2.3 <laughs> miles or more. Someone ran 23 miles, but not me. And, crazy, um, crazy people. But, so yeah, we've gotten some incredible donations. We actually had Sony Pictures. Oh, wow. They offered us, this was in 2000. 13 or 14, we had met the the PR director for Sony Pictures when Christopher's in the hospital mm-hmm. because he wanted to see Spider-Man 3 and he, he saw it in the theater, but then he wanted to see it in the hospital. So long story, as short as it can be, someone got in touch with um, the PR director at the time and they walked the video over. So while it was Amazing. in the movie theaters, while it was in the movie theaters, my son watched it in the hospital. Oh, see, genuinely, if you ask, you sometimes get, it's always worth asking, isn't it? Because especially, you know, people will go out of the way to help other people. There are genuinely nice people in the world. There are, there are. And then he came to me and he said, if you can raise enough money, we will give you an opportunity to auction off a visit to the set of The Amazing Spider-Man 2, meet the stars, be an extra wow we found a way we found a way to raise that money (laughs) 
So, you know, we, I think we went through a company called Charity Buzz and they auctioned it off. Oh, and, and it was so great because I got to write the, the notice. They gave me the control to write the opportunity. And, you know, most of those things you have to be over 18 to do. Yeah. But I wrote it for a child. It was a child opportunity and that they had to have a guardian with them. So two oh. people got to go. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, that's wonderful. Right. So the it's remind me what the name of the foundation is again. Chris, the Christopher Barron Live Life Foundation. And so it's Christopher Barron Live Life.org. Perfect. I'll put it in the show notes anyway. But okay, I just you. want obviously wanted it to and put it in people's brains. Yes. Work. And you know, it's been amazing working with those kids. That was something that was like a need for me. I felt this in, incredible need to help kids who didn't have the opportunities my kids had. And, and I know I said that before, but just working with the kids and, you know, I thought it would be so hard to see kids who were, we started with fifth graders to be so hard to, to be with fifth graders because Christopher never made it to fourth or fifth grade, but being with those kids, it like lit me up because they would ask questions about Christopher and, you know, and they would tell me how sorry they were, or they would, they would say things like, does Christopher have an iPhone? And, and I'd say, yeah, Christopher, Christopher's in heaven. No, he does not have an iPhone. And they're like, what about his brother? I'm like, his brother's on earth and he doesn't have an iPhone or a cell phone. (laughs) I kind of like that because that must've been really rewarding, but also like it's innocent coming out of children's mouths I think I guess so here's a question for you actually because I am now learning to ask people how I can help them in their situation because I think sometimes if you're going through what you've been through or any form of situation you know my uh, friend has recently lost her mum you know my mum went through like um a real downfall of her health last year and I was literally saying to people literally I don't want you to ask me every day how my mom is because we're being told that she's on like her last legs and so there's no easy way of saying she is dying essentially so stop asking me and so I guess how if anybody is going through and if anybody was unfortunate enough to be going through what you were going through what help or in what form of help do would you have appreciated or did you appreciate at the time because some people especially adults find it really uncomfortable because if they're not comfortable with the subject or they don't know how to say how can I help you they just disappear because they don't they're almost frightened of asking and and receiving an answer that they don't want to receive so is there any advice that you could give yeah I do have have advice actually um my friends were phenomenal they they just they knew that I didn't, you know, a lot of the times when people on crisis meals are delivered and, and they were when Christopher got sick each time, but after his passing, I, I did not want to, I did not want to make small talk with anyone, right? I didn't want to see anyone. And so I told them, I do not want meals, but instead they didn't stop there. They, they went and bought gift certificates. A, a large group of them got together and got and bought gift certificates to restaurants that I could order the food in. And so that was big, right? And one one restaurant, I'm convinced that she probably let it. There's no way they paid that much money. She just kept <laughs> it going after. 
I'm convinced because, you know, that wasn't delivery. I would drive up. She would run, the owner would run out, hand me the dinner, put it in my car. So a couple things that I would recommend is um, for people who've lost someone, so not the person who's lost, don't say, what can I do? Because the person is so lost, they can't tell you. They have no idea what to tell you. So just show up with whatever you think they need. A friend would just drop. I said, don't bring meals, but she was one of my best friends. So she knew I was okay talking to her because I would call and cry to her. So she would show up with a lasagna or she would show up with different meals or, you know, someone would just mow the lawn or they would just do things, but you can't ask because because no, mo, nine times out of 10, people are not going to call you and ask you to do something. Yeah. Um, I was just having that conversation with a woman last night who lost her husband, you know? Yeah. So, and then the other thing is, is very big is, um, and this happens more with families, I think, than with friends, mm-hmm. is that the family has such a hard time, where, especially if it's, it's, it's not like a parent, so everyone's involved. If it's like individual grief, like maybe it's a spouse or a child that, you know, a family member lost. It's so painful to watch, watch your sister or your daughter or whoever go through this grief, especially when they talk about wanting to die. Right. So they want, they want them to get better faster. So they'll often, sometimes I was told how to grieve, like, um, you should do this. You should do Mm. that. And like, I brushed my teeth this morning. That's it. That's a win for me today. Exactly, exactly. But I would get so angry. So it wasn't like that. I would get so angry. Like, how dare you tell me how to grieve when you have no clue? And these were my siblings and they loved me so much, but anger is a much easier emotion to deal with than grief, right? Yeah. So we go there easier. Yeah. So um, if you can- And we can express anger to those we love a lot easier because we know that they'll forgive us anyway. Exactly. So hold back on the advice for sure. You know, my yeah. husband would say to me, he was, he was just, he just had a, a much wider view than I did. And, you know, people would say things to me and they would say dumb things to me and, and, and I would get frustrated. Right. And he said to me one day, you know, you get angry with the people who try and they say something and it might not be exactly right. And you don't get angry at the people who make no effort. So, oh, you're right. Oh, yeah, because the object's in front of you then, isn't it? Not outside. So I stopped, you know, and eventually in time, that was just really, really early on. Eventually, if someone said something that wasn't, you know, that was a little off, I was like, you know, they just don't know any better. They're doing the best they can. Or if someone lost someone and they're in deep grief and they said something, I'd be like, they're in deep grief can't hold it against them they don't know what they're saying they're just trying to breathe yeah brilliant so so back off basically from people (laughs) as in like back off the pressure of emotions and asking them questions and telling them how to grieve but keep showing up regardless if they don't want you to show up just keep keep showing up even if it's just a hug and go or like probably even emoji hug do you know what I mean just like to let you let them know that you're constantly thinking of them and that you'll be there when they're ready to, or if they ever get ready to talk to you. One of my friends, all of my friends did something different and they, you know, they really, um, 
this is one of the things I discovered. And it took me a little while to discover it with my family, you know, because you, you have blind spots. Mm. But with my people give what they have. So sometimes you want what they can't give. So I communicated my grief via email. So I would send emails out. And that was my heart-wrenching grief because I couldn't talk about it. And so some of my family members would just write, thank you. Thank you. I just poured my heart out, heart out yeah. and all you can say is thank you. And my friends would always have something to say that uplifted me, that supported me, that helped me. And what I didn't realize at the time was that my my siblings were they were they were so devastated too, right? They weren't yeah. destroyed, but they were devastated. And so as I went on, I realized like, okay, so maybe my older sister um, would just say thank you. But she also came over my house with a stack of bills and my checkbook and paid all my bills because I wasn't paying them, you know? And so she was also making dinner or she was also picking up Ryan to go play with her son, you know? And so people give what they have. And if we can appreciate that they're giving us a gift from them and it might not be what like it may not, we might want X and they give us Y, just appreciate Y because it's so beautiful. Yeah. And it's given from the heart. Yeah. That's actually such a lovely, a lovely thing to remind people that although if you're in deep in grief, you're probably not going to be able no, to, to see you that. But You won't yeah. see that at first. But you can reflect time back goes on, it, on Or even, you know, grief was so long for me. Um, so as I got stronger, I could see things more clearly. Um, I had a friend who would call, who would text me all the time, ask me how I was, ask me to go to the movies all the time. You know, we were always talking about me. I don't think I ever asked how she was doing, but she didn't care because she knew, you know, eventually it flipped. Of course. Absolutely. And those are the gems as friends that you have in your life. Yes. And there are people and it's really hard. There will be people that will stop talking to you. They will go radio silent on you. They may, it only happened with two people for me, thank God, because I have so many people in my life and they just couldn't talk to me. And and they just couldn't handle that, the fact that a child could die. It's yeah, just and too a, rough for them. Yeah, and a lot of that is probably their reflections on the world and themselves. Yes. Because they yep. they couldn't cope with it. And so therefore they yes. couldn't cope. They couldn't they couldn't probably like make sense of it themselves and therefore couldn't help you with your grief because they couldn't stabilize themselves in the yes. first place. And sometimes people like that, you know, it's sad because they probably feel guilt about like I couldn't do anything for her or I you know, like it they probably do have guilt. Or whatever. They do have but, guilt. Yes. But you've got to kind of just let people pass through your life for a reason, a season or a lifetime, aren't they? That's when friends yes. come in for. So for like, and then just send them out with love. I've had a bit of that recently. You know, that is so true. You know, as we're talking, I'm thinking about this one woman and she was phenomenal. She was the opposite. She basically held my hand. So, so her, our children went through leukemia the first time together, like a leukemia diagnosis Oof, okay. the first time, right? But then Christopher relapsed and then he got a third cancer and she was with me the whole journey, you know, and she could have been like, oh my God, this could happen to my son, but she didn't. She talked with me. She was there for me. 
you know, after Christopher died, I called and cried to her. Yeah. I ended up pulling back from the friendship, but that was my stuff, not her stuff. She was with me on the whole journey, you know, so yeah. the people really show their remarkableness, if that's a word. <laughs> we'll have it as a word. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you ever so much for sharing that. So fast forward to now and we've got podcast out. It's called Finding the Joy in the Hard. Finding Joy in the Hard. Finding no Oh yeah, that's me. I'm finding the joy. <laughs> finding joy in the hard. Yes. And so this will this be like about oh people, yes, Let me... about grief and people, or is it like anything, or is it all sorts of stuff? Tell me what's going that's on. That's a great question. Thank you so much for asking. So <laughs> I had this idea. Like I was not one of those people who ever always wanted to do a podcast. I had an idea in August, and I ran with it, which is a little unusual for me. But anyway, um, usually I procrastinate, right? So I had this idea, what if I um, I share stories of people who've gone through incredible challenges and have come out the other side? So no, it's not all grief. So the other night I interviewed, um, I'm launching on December 4th, but I'm interviewing now. And so, and I know that the timeline will be off. By the time this is aired, it will have been, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it will be the past, right? But um so I interviewed um, a woman the other day whose child um, became autistic at two, right? So, and and the whole, and I interviewed a, some people have had loss, um, death is what I mean, death. I interviewed a, um, a friend of mine who is a quadriplegic and a single dad. Wow. And he, it, like the interview is unbelievable because he will tell you that he is grateful this happened to him. Grateful that he's quadriplegic because he said if he didn't become, if he didn't go down that path, he would have been, his life was going down a bad direction and he would have never had his daughter yeah. and he would have never, he's a big woodworker and he would have never, you know, now he inspires children. And so I'm interviewing anyone who's had a, a, a really hard, a big hard mm -hmm. and came out the other side how they found light in the dark and joy in the hard. And so, oh. and then I'll also share my own story, different things, you know. Um, and every episode will also have a healing tip. So it might be Jin Shin Jitsu, it might be breath work, it might be yoga related, it might be a gratitude journal related. It, any healing tip that can help people. Oh, that sounds fantastic. I can't wait to listen to that. So, December 4th was launch day. I'm saying yeah, was launch day because like you said, this is recorded before the launch of it, but we will be putting it out on air after the yes. launch of it. Oh, the life of a podcast. So you've got to get your brain thinking, haven't you? So um, that's awesome. I can't wait to to um, listen to that, Suzanne. And I just want to say a massive thank you. But before I do say a big thank you to you, I want to do a bit of a kind of a wrap up for what I want our lovely listeners to take away so just some takeaways from everything that we've talked about today because we've we've I know we kind of jumped a little bit but you know that's how we roll that's how a conversation happens isn't it so right. I think so have a toolbox of like self-care stuff 
I've said this before. I'm sure you've probably said it before to any of your uh, your listeners as well. Have a toolkit ready. If your children are fighting, that's a good thing because they've got lots of energy to fight. And they're healthy. Um, and they're healthy. And they're healthy. Yep, absolutely. Find something fun to do every single day. Even as an adult, we need to be finding some form of joy to do every single day. And um, don't put pressure on somebody who's going through grief. Give that, just keep showing up for them. And remember, just hug your fingers, basically, and hug your thumbs gently. Brilliant. So, oh, and um, all right. So brilliant. So thank you ever so much, Suzanne, for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for sharing probably what was one of the or what was one of the hardest parts of your life and just being such a joyous, kind, happy human being and letting other people kind of like learn through your grief and also just seeing that it's possible to keep going and, and come out of the other side and find that joy and happiness still and keep going with it so thank you ever so much for your time today thank you so much for having me debbie it's been such a pleasure yeah no problem take care thanks for listening today i hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as i did and as always any links or anything mentioned will be in the show notes if you haven't connected with me yet i'd love to meet you so come find me on instagram at debbie westwell why not slide into my dms and tell me what you thought of this episode And if you like what you hear, then please follow me or hit the bell icon, share with somebody like you who would benefit from listening and all positive reviews are greatly appreciated. Thank you for being your wonderful self and I can't wait to chat next time.